the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the Bible, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Acts, more persecution comes for the church. Herod kills James and throws Peter in prison, and God is with him. We'll pick it up in Acts chapter 12, verse 1. The title of the message is, Our God is Greater. Acts chapter 12, and if you'll also turn to James 5, we'll be visiting there a little bit as well. Acts chapter 12 and James 5. Remember, the whole theme of the book of Acts is that Jesus is still working. The gospel has now spread beyond the Jews and the Samaritans all the way to the Gentiles, whether it's the Ethiopian eunuch or Cornelius, the Roman centurion and his family and friends, or the church in Antioch, the first church probably the way God wanted it to be of all different types of people. People who have never heard about the love of God are going now to get the gospel. The stage is being set for the church to launch into the entire world. But you know, that doesn't make the enemy of our souls very happy, does it? He doesn't like it when the good news of Jesus Christ begins to spread. And as is often the case when people are turning to Christ, the enemy seeks to stamp it out with persecution. And while this will be a very difficult time for the church in Acts chapter 12, God makes it very clear by the end that he's greater than anything that the enemy can throw at us. Amen? Well, Acts chapter 12, let's begin. We have a lot of ground to cover. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Now, Herod here, the king is mentioned. There are four Herods that are mentioned in the Bible. We'll get to that in a moment. But when we look here, this kind of gives us a good time frame of what's going on. Herod died in 44 AD. We'll get to that at the end of the chapter. And then the famine struck Jerusalem at the beginning of 45 AD, which is where we left off in chapter 11, where the prophet Agabus and other prophets came up and had said, hey, there's going to be a famine in the land. And they took up an offering for the church there at Jerusalem. So we're going to go a little bit back in time now to before Saul and Barnabas come with the offering from Antioch. So we're backing up a bit. And one of the things you have to very careful about is sometimes we assume that the Bible is, is just automatically chronological. It's not always that way. Remember, the people who are writing the books of the Bible, they're writing with an intent, with a purpose in mind. And just as you're telling a story, then sometimes you go, oh, wait, let me back up a bit. There's an important thing I need to let you know. That will happen sometimes as we go through a narrative in the scriptures. 
Oftentimes, critics of the Bible say, oh, no, that didn't happen at that time. And you have to say, come on, use a little bit of common sense here, okay? This is not writing for the sake of only history. This is writing to teach us and show us something. And therefore, you're going to build the argument that best proves what you're trying to share. And so sometimes they'll go back in time. So we're going to move back in time just a little bit. Now, Herod is a title that was given by Rome to the king of Palestine. There are four Herods, as I mentioned earlier, in the Bible. There's the Herod during Jesus' birth, known as Herod the Great. He's the one that ordered all the children to and under to be killed. Um, He died while Joseph and Mary and Jesus were in Egypt. Then there's a Herod who was alive during Jesus' ministry, Herod Antipas. Antipas was his name. He beheaded John the Baptist. He presided over Jesus' trial when he was there in Jerusalem. Uh, He was eventually betrayed by his brother-in-law, Agrippa, and exiled by the emperor Caligula. Then Caligula named Agrippa the new king, so he became Herod Agrippa. And this is the king that is mentioned here in Acts chapter 12. We'll meet the final Herod, Agrippa II, later in the book of Acts. We'll find out, though, what happens to this Herod, like I said, by the end of this study, God willing, today. And it says that he stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church, to do harm to certain in the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. He executed James by beheading, just like John the Baptist was killed. Now, James, of course, here, the brother of John, it means he's the other son of thunder, the one whose mother asked that he could sit on the right or left of Jesus' throne with his brother. Jesus had asked the brothers in response if they were able to drink the same cup that he would have to drink, and they both said yes. Well, James drinks his cup here, and he becomes the first of the 12 to be martyred, beheaded by Herod. Now, we aren't exactly sure why Herod just on the cuff decided to do this. When Claudius was made emperor in 41 AD, he extended Herod's realm to Judea. And from that time, Herod made a concerted effort to win over the Jews. He was Hasmonean through his mother, which means he was Jewish, and he observed the law. He would attend the temple services regularly. In fact, when he heard the passage of the law, which said an Edomite, which is what his father's line was from, an Edomite can't come into the temple, he wept. And so the Sadducees, predominantly Hasmonean themselves, replied, no, no, you are our brother. And so this alliance, this friendship, this league was formed between the Sadducees and Herod Agrippa. And so it's possible he did this as part of his plan to get the Jewish population on his side. And so he beheads James. Now, notice real quick, when we get to verse 3, it says, and because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to arrest Peter also. So at this point, James is dead, and then we leave it behind, and we move to Peter. There is no mention of anyone chosen to take James's place as one of the 12 apostles. Now, whether Peter was right to have Matthias replace Judas or not, I don't know. But it's clear the early church didn't hold to this idea of apostolic secession, this idea that the apostles hold the keys to salvation and the keys to God's word, and they have to pass it on to others in order that salvation can be available for all ages. The apostles laid the foundation of God's word for us, and once they died, so did their office. There's no longer a need to lay a foundation of God's word because we have it for us here now. Now we build on top of that foundation by learning what it has to say. We are built up on the foundation of the holy apostles and prophets, the book of Ephesians says in chapter 2. So now Herod, he arrests Peter, but he delays his execution. It says here, then were the days of unleavened bread. 
So we don't know exactly when he arrested Peter, but most likely right before, right at the start of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which of course culminates in the Feast of Passover. And so the reason he does not execute Peter right away is because the Jews, they did not want that to happen during the festival time. Remember even when Jesus was arrested, they didn't want him to die on the Passover? And lo and behold, God's word was done. Jesus died there as our Passover lamb on the Passover. And so here he delays his execution when he'd apprehended him. Verse 4 says, he put him into prison and he delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to guard him closely. The word there, keep, means to guard closely, intending after the Passover festival, after then to bring him forth to the people. Now, the quaternions would be a squad of four soldiers, so 16 soldiers in total were there to oversee Peter. Now, possibly Herod had heard about when Peter and John were arrested, and the angel set them free, and it's possible he thought, not on my watch, I'm making this prison secure. And of course, the natural mind would say, well, there's no way a supernatural event broke these guys free. Those soldiers must have been lax. So I'm going to make sure I do this the Roman way. We're going to take four soldiers and four squads of four soldiers to keep an eye on them. They would have three-hour shifts. You'd have two soldiers. One would be chained to one arm. One would be chained to the other arm. That way, if you got out from one or knocked out one, the other one was okay. And then you'd have two other soldiers outside the cell. And then so no one would get tired. You'd go in three-hour shifts. So these guys would serve two shifts a day, two three-hour shifts a day. These squads would come in every three hours to keep guard of the heinous, dangerous prisoner, Peter. Well, Peter, therefore, verse 5, was kept in prison, but prayer, I love that, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. That phrase there, without ceasing, it does refer to duration, but more importantly, it means with intensity, with eagerness, with zeal. And in the imperfect tense, therefore, it's continual. The early church placed a great emphasis on prayer, and it was a part of their life. They believed in it, and we should too. Let me ask you a question. Do you pray with intensity? Sometimes you wonder why our young people don't want to be part of the church sometimes. And I don't mean our young people, but I mean in the church in general. I don't know about you, but there's nothing exciting about somebody going, Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Please protect us as we go on our trip. Almost like the idea like, Lord, we're doing it out of formality and not because we really believe you actually care. I mean, would you talk to somebody like that? If I talked to my bride like that, if I sat down and said, hi, honey, it's so nice to see you today. How was your, I mean, I I would not still be married probably. Or at least it would not be anywhere near as good as it is now. I was so blessed when I came here and I heard the prayers that went up before the service started. And then the service, the prayers that were made from this pulpit, I thought, man, these guys pray. That's the way it ought to be. Intensity, eagerness, zeal. I understand, hey, I get it. You say, well, you know, I, I don't have your personality. That's fine. I understand there is a range of personalities within the body of Christ, and that's cool. That's fine. We don't have to be crazy. But there should be a sense of, I believe I'm touching the heart of God right now with my prayers. A sense of what I'm about to do as I'm entering before the God who flung worlds into existence and I'm bringing this problem before him, I'm bringing this need before him, the one who can just speak and it's done. That's exciting. 
Are we praying with intensity? And then do we persevere in prayer? In James chapter five, if you've noted it there, we can turn real quickly. It says this in verse 16. The last part, it says, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The effective, fervent. When I think of fervent, I don't usually think of just kind of passive things. (laughs) I think of an active sense of seeking God for something because I believe he really hears and he wants to move. You say, well, I don't know if I'm a righteous man. Listen, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ and you're saved, you're a righteous man or a righteous woman. You have access unto his throne of grace. Romans chapter five, it says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have access into this grace wherein we stand. We have the right to come boldly before his throne. The word there, boldly, means freely, to speak with frankness, to be open and honest before our God and to come and to bring something from our heart to his heart. You know, prior to this point, the apostles seemed untouchable in the persecutions. Remember, it would say there was a persecution, but the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. Well, that all has been blown to bits because James is dead. And so the people, they pray. Prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. You know, it had been very easy for them to say, well, it didn't work for James. Why would it work for Peter? And yet here we find the church preaching continually day and night for at least eight days. That's how long the feast lasted. So at least eight days, these guys were praying fervently, seeking God. Lord, would you please rescue Peter? Now, despite these prayers, Peter remained under guard for a while. In fact, until the very night before Herod planned to bring him out for execution. Verse six, and when Herod would have brought him forth the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and the keepers before the door kept the prison. You know, here we find Peter on the night before execution. He had more peace than those who were praying for him. They're praying all night in an all night prayer meeting and here is Peter sleeping. I don't know if he is exhausted I don't know if he'd resigned himself to the fact that this was the time now that the Lord had prophesied of when others would lead him away and take his life. Some have suggested the reason Peter slept is he knew he couldn't die. Some suggested because Jesus' prophecy of his death and execution referred to crucifixion. And since he had beheaded James, Peter knew, I I can't be beheaded because Jesus said, I'm going to be crucified. I'm not sure that's comforting, but... Perhaps he thought that was the case. But either way, when David fled from Absalom, these are his words. He said, Lord, in Psalm 3, verses 1 through 5, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. I laid me down and slept. I awaked for the Lord sustained me. See, there's something beautiful about the Christian. No matter the pain, the difficulty, the uncertainty, the unknown, whatever you may be going through, you and I can sleep peacefully knowing that we are cradled in our Father's arms. Well, we move on here in verse 7, and it says, and behold, anytime you see behold in the Bible, modern day translation means, check this out. This is crazy. Look at what happened. That's what that means. Behold means pay attention. Check this out. 
In the midst of this horrible situation, all of a sudden, God intervenes. It says, the angel of the Lord, or an angel of the Lord, came upon him, and a light shined in the prison. Now, you would think at that point in time, you know, there's a light, and the angel of the Lord's there. I mean, that's kind of an ominous presence. And then Peter's snoring. And you almost kind of think the angel's a little disappointed, and he's like, hey, (laughs) this is important. (laughs) He smote him. The word there means to strike a blow. This word usually implies a blow that causes damage. (laughs) Obviously, that probably didn't happen because Peter doesn't say he limped out of the prison in a moment. But it does show how peacefully Peter slept. And the angel smote Peter on the side and he raised him up. He woke him up saying, arise up, get up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, gird yourself and bind on your sandals. And so he did. Those words would have been such a comfort to Peter because in John chapter 21, verse 18, Jesus says this, Verily, verily, I say unto you, when you were young, you girded yourself and you walked where you would. But when you shall be old, you shall stretch forth your hands and another shall gird you. And yet what does the angel tell him? Gird yourself, Peter. Jesus told Peter the day would come when others would gird him and take him where he didn't want to go, referring to his future martyrdom. But by using this phrase, the angel's saying, not today, Peter, not yet. Gird yourself. You're getting out of here. And so he puts on his sandals. He puts on his clothes. And he said unto him, the angel says, no, no, not yet. Cast your garment about you and follow me. That would be a coat or a cloak. In other words, they're in a hurry, but not a frenzied hurry that he had to leave anything behind. No, put your cloak on. You're going to need it. You're going to live for a while now. And so verse 9 says, he went out and followed him. The angel said unto him, follow me, which means keep on following me. As we'll see in a moment, Peter thinks this is a dream. It says he knew and wist not, that just means to know, he knew not that it was true or that which it was real, what was done unto him by the angel, but he thought he saw a vision. So Peter may have been tempted to wander or lag a bit. And so the angel's like, no, 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 stay on track with me. And and the angel makes that important that he stays close. But Peter's not convinced this is really happening. He thinks it's a vision. So verse 10, when they were past the first and second ward or guard station, they came upon the iron gate that leads into the city. And I love the way Luke does this because in the Greek, literally it says this, they came unto the gate, the iron one, the one barring the way into the city. And I love that because it's like he's saying, all the other stuff, okay, but this, nobody's getting out of here. And look at what happens. Which opened to them of his own accord. This is better than any sci-fi movie. And they went out and passed on through one street, one street away. And immediately the angel departed from him. (laughs) I'd have been like, okay, (laughs) the prison's right behind me, one street away. Why did you leave? But there's some things to note here in Peter's rescue. There were, number one, numerous obstacles to Peter's escape. Guards, chains, two more guard stations, an iron gate. But were any of these things obstacles to God? Not at all. Not even close. And this is why your heart should never be deterred by obstacles. Never be deterred by obstacles. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 27, the beautiful words of our Lord when he says, which of you by taking thought or worrying or anxious thoughts can add one cubit to his stature? I can't make myself a bit taller by worry. I can't fix the situation by worry. Never will. 
And so the Lord here, we are reminded that none of these things are obstacles for him. Jesus told us to count the cost, and we should. But don't dwell on the cost. Rest in what he's told you to do. Second thing to note, the angel accomplished all of this without the guards noticing. And that just baffles me. I try to figure it out. How did he do it? Did time stop? Did he place an illusion of Peter in the jail so the guards would notice? Surely the guards should have sensed the chains slackening with Peter's absence, and yet they did not. The Bible doesn't tell us how good this. And so again, I don't know about you, but this shows me that God is way more powerful than any superhero ability or anything else. He is almighty beyond even our own comprehension to understand how he might do something. But the third thing to note is that the angel ditches him one street away from the prison. Not exactly the safest place to be out on his own again. And yet, I have to chuckle because it shows we need not worry despite how close we are to danger because the Lord knows right where we are. He knows how close we are to that place of danger. And I wonder sometimes if the Lord almost did it as a snub to the enemy. They don't even know, and he's just a street away. How's that, devil? He's right outside your prison, but there's nothing you can do about it. Our God is greater, amen? Satan is not even God's opposite. Do you know that? He's not even God's opposite. Like, he needs permission to do anything he wants to do. Can I go give Will a hard time today? Uh, Okay. He needs to grow a bit. I'll get him out of the ditch he digs for himself. God has no opposite. He has no equal. He is greater. Verse 11, Peter realizes finally it's not a vision. And when Peter was come to himself, the word there means fully awake, realizing where he is, that it's real, it's not a vision. He said, well, now I know of a surety that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. So he he really thought that it was a dream. You know, have you ever had one of those moments where what God does seems too good to be true? (laughs) I think often we dehumanize those who are faithful to the Lord. I mean, yes, Peter slept peacefully, but he didn't want to die. Do I fear death? No, but the means maybe. I don't necessarily want to go through the process, but I don't fear what's going to happen afterwards. At that moment, I know I'm going to be with the Lord. But this wasn't how he hoped things would have ended. He didn't want to die in some cell or be beheaded by the enemy of the church. Turn back to James chapter five with me. You guys know who Elijah is, right? We'll probably get to him in like, you know, 17 years or so, Sunday night. Elijah was a man. I mean, this guy parts the Jordan River. You know, he calls fire down from heaven. I mean, this is a guy who did stuff. And look at what the Bible says about him, verse 17 of chapter five of James. Elijah was a man subject to like passions, emotions, struggles as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And then he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth brought forth her fruit. What's James's point? James's point is these were not super believers. Peter wasn't a super Christian. They're just like you and me with the fact that they're yielded to God's command which means you and I can yield to God's command as well and see God move in our lives. Are you yielded to God's commands, to his plan, to what his word says? Well, verse 12, 
And when he had considered, when he understood clearly the thing that was going on, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. So Peter decides to go to Mary's home. I imagine this thought process occurred very quickly. He realized, okay, pinch, okay, this happened. And now he says, what do I do now? I can't hang out in Jerusalem. They're just going to rearrest me. So I'm going to go let somebody know what happened so they know I'm alive and to spread the word. And so he decides to go to the house of Mary, the mother of of John, whose surname was Mark. Now, this is the first mention of John Mark, the man who wrote our second gospel. He was the assistant to Barnabas and Paul on their first missionary trip. We don't know how, but Mary would have been a woman of means, of financial means, to have a home large enough for all the people to occupy it. It'll mention later on she has a gatehouse to greet guests. That's something that the high priest's home is described as. So this was someone who was well-to-do, Peter was very fond of Mark, later calling him my son in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 13. And that's possible, maybe that's why he went there. He had a, a close relationship with this family. Or it's possible because he knew a large gathering of Christians would be there and he would be able to tell them and they'd spread the news. Either way, Luke lets us know there was a huge prayer meeting going on there. Now, since Peter's freedom occurs in the middle of the night, it means the prayer meeting ran through the night. Interesting. What if we had some kind of a prayer chain where there was just constant 24-hour prayer going on all the time? That's a good idea. You can run with it. God is with us in the midst of execution, imprisonment, and great trials. He never leaves us. Even when we can't sense his presence, he's still there with us. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.